discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. everyone. Welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It is Mexi. Please disregard any construction noise you may hear in the background. It is incessant and I cannot wait till I can move at some point and hopefully have some kind of dedicated studio space. That is the dream. <laughs> One day. Uh, but anyway, today we have some absolutely incredible guests. They are the founders of Plant the Land Team Gaza and I'm just reading from their website here. Inspired by a desire to bring vegan food justice work to Palestine and to help Gazans suffering under the ongoing Israeli blockade, Plant the Land team combines veganism, ecology, communalism, education, and mutual aid to empower Palestinians to resist Israeli sanctions, teach the world about their situation, and utilize their own land. Plant the Land Team Gaza is a vegan food justice and community projects volunteer team based in Gaza that buys and distributes vegan food, plants food forests, and provides Gazan farmers with seeds and planting tools, etc. to help them secure greater food sovereignty. They also organize all kinds of fundraising projects, which have included providing plant-based insulin to children with diabetes, providing medical treatment, raising the money for a village water well to be built, and a yearly vegan food fundraiser for Ramadan. So it's just an absolutely incredible organization, and our guests today are the incredible Laura Schleifer, who appeared on the show previously talking with Maureen about the vegan washing of Israel, which is a really fantastic episode. I will link that for anyone who missed it. But Laura Schleifer created the word artivist, which is artist and activist put together, to describe her vocation. She's an NYU Tisch graduate with a BFA in drama. She's toured the Middle East with a theater and circus troupe. She's taught in China, Nicaragua, and at Wesleyan University's Green Street Arts Center. She has performed off-Broadway and has arts-mentored homeless and targeted youth. Her screenplay, The Feral Child, was a Sundance Lab finalist. Her essays appear in The Leftist Review, Project Intersect, The New Engagement, Forza Magazine, and an upcoming Black Rose Books Kropotkin anthology. Currently, she's writing a book titled Liberating Veganism for Vegan Publishers. Laura is also the Institute for Critical Animal Studies Total Liberation Director and the co-founder of Plant the Land Team Gaza, which I just described. And we have Anas Arafat, who is a Palestinian lawyer and humanitarian aid activist based in Gaza. In 2019, he co-founded Plant the Land Team, and he does most of the work on the ground in Gaza. So he is out there day by day, just tirelessly doing this important work, even amid the most dangerous of circumstances, as we'll get into in the interview. Recently, Plant the Land Team Gaza partnered with Million Dollar Vegan to provide 3,500 vegan meals to families in Gaza, which is just incredible. So today we talk about their work, about Palestinian liberation and the animal rights movement, and we dispel some of the propaganda around the quote-unquote conflict that unfortunately still exists within vegan spaces that are otherwise oriented around social justice. 
But before we begin, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to our patrons. You make the show possible. We appreciate you so much. If you would like to become a sustaining member and contribute to the continuation of this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash vegan vanguard. And for just $2 per month, you get access to our Total Liberation Discord server, which I co-run with Catherine and Mad Blender. We hold community political chats over there twice per month, although this month it was uh, an anomaly because uh, both Catherine and I have been uh, randomly busy, but uh, typically it's twice per month. I think this month we'll do one per month, um, but it's usually two. Or you can give us a one-time donation via PayPal on our website, veganbangerpodcast.com. So thank you so much to new patrons Tunage, Tuhotsky for Trotsky, and Dickie Neptune. We really, really appreciate you. And we also appreciate everyone who has given us amazing ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us, because that really does help increase our reach. With that said, let us jump into the interview. Laura Schleifer, and I am the co-founder of Plant the Land Team, uh, which is a vegan food justice and community projects team that is based in Gaza. Um, I am a long-term activist for Palestinian freedom and also for animal liberation and for many, many other uh, social justice and ecological uh, issues. And I am also the Total Liberation Campaign Director at the Institute for Critical Animal Studies and a whole bunch of other stuff, but, you know, won't (laughs) won't take up the whole show. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to pass it on to Anas. My name is Anas Arafat. I'm from Palestine from Gaza City. I'm a lawyer. Uh, also, I'm uh, a friend with Laura. She's a co-founder of the Blunt Land team in Gaza. And I'm uh, the manager of the work in the Gaza of the Blunt Land team. And we are, uh, I mean, I'm and Laura, we are the founder of the team and we are uh, who create the idea of the Blunt Land team. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. So could you tell us a bit about how and why you started Plant the Land Team Gaza? Well, I can start uh, by saying that it was a combination of factors for me because I was actually watching Anas doing a lot of work in Gaza already. So even though he didn't have Plant the Land team, he was already a very active humanitarian activist in Gaza. And he was constantly doing these different projects there. And um, I was watching as he actually managed to get medical treatment for a girl um, where he actually managed to get her to Australia to get the treatment. And he was doing, you know, just constant, constant things. And so I found out about him through the Palestinian solidarity movement. And then also separately from that, I was involved in the vegan movement. And At that time, I was getting a lot of requests, actually, from Gazans who were asking for food. And there, of course, was a huge 
uh, food crisis in Gaza because Israel has been putting this economic blockade on Gaza since 2006. So um, basically, I knew that there was a food crisis. And then I was seeing people in the vegan movement who were doing vegan food justice work. And I thought to myself, wow, uh, this is really interesting because veganism can be an answer to a food crisis. And that would be a way of connecting the vegan movement to this issue that's going on in Gaza to support them in a way that they will know that their money will never go towards slaughtering animals, exploiting animals. Um, and this will be something that they can support and feel good about. And it will also be a way, of course, of raising awareness in the vegan movement about what is happening in Gaza. And it will bring solidarity and support in that way to Gaza. And I also was thinking about it in the ways of, um, you know, the climate issue in that part of the world and, you know, not having to use as much water and just, you know, all these different factors where I was like, this would be really powerful. And, and also just, you know, as a message of peace that, um, you know, this is providing food and it doesn't involve violence. So I went to Anas and I said, hey, you know, I don't know how you would feel about this, but I've been watching the work that you've been doing in Gaza and I'm really amazed by it. And I have this idea. And originally the idea was um, to do a vegan food fundraiser for Ramadan, which is the big Muslim holiday that was coming up. And Anas was completely on board to do it. And so we started doing these vegan food fundraisers. And then Anas actually is the one who came to me and said, hey, I have this idea. You know, I want to expand this into an actual team that does all kinds of projects, including, of course, continuing the vegan food aid projects, but not just in terms of buying and distributing vegan food, but also planting food forests on public lands in Gaza and bringing tools to farmers to be able to plant fruits and vegetables and, you know, plant-based foods, and eventually to even buy pieces of land that communities can share so that they can become food independent and Israel will not have control over our ability to access food here the way they do now. And I was like, oh, I absolutely love that. And he said, we will do all of these things and plant the land. And then when he said that, I was like, that's the name. That's the name for the team, plant the land team. So that is how I came up with it on my side. Um, and then, you know, I know Anas will have a lot to tell you about how he conceived of all the work that he's been doing. You you say that the most important uh, thing for the team sister, but I want to let Maxi know, uh, maybe you will believe it or not, but you need to know it, uh, the plant plant team, uh, this idea was like a joke. When I talked with uh, Laura about the team, uh, in the first time it was like a joke. That's as I mean, as said, we need to create the team. And Laura said, wow, it is amazing idea. We can do it. So in the first time, when I think about the team in Gaza and about who can support this team and provide the money to buy the food or to 
provide assistance for people in Gaza. I think I think about Laura. Why? Because she believed about the right of Palestinian and about the right of Gaza for have a good life or, or for have a, a good chance to have a good life for the families and for the children in Gaza. So when uh, the Laura say, say uh, yes, we can create the team, I think I was uh, in a, a dream. Uh, I, I was not believed her because she say yes in the first time and directly. So I was shocking when, the, when she say yes. And when uh, we create the first uh, fund for the Blantland team, we provided a food package during the Ramadan month. And I was really afraid because how uh, people will uh, believe about the Blantland team. And you need to know when we uh, make the logo, we are uh, trying to put uh, a handala. It is a, tradi- a traditional uh, traditional uh, characters in Gaza, or I mean in Palestine also, is a traditional uh, traditional uh, characters, and we put it. And maybe if you search about Hanzala, you will read more about uh, these characters. Also, we uh, put the names of the uh, famous cities in Palestine, like Gaza, uh, Bethlehem, uh, Hebron, Ramallah, Jerusalem. So uh, these cities uh, are the most, the famous cities in uh, Palestine. Uh, this idea uh, for the Blantland team, uh, we think about to be a global idea, not just in Palestine. No, we need it to be a global idea, uh, like in French, in Germany, in USA, uh, in Britain, uh, British, sorry, uh, in UK, I mean, and in many countries, so the Blunt Land team will not be just in Gaza or Palestine. It will be a global idea. Why uh, we need it to be a global? Because when we have a more friends, that's mean that's mean we will have a more supporter for the idea. Also, uh, about the team, you need to know we are a volunteer, and about me about Anas. Uh, I am a diabetic type one, and for many years I'm being alone. I'm not have uh, any help for from anyone because my situation not being good. No one can provide my medicine. So uh, throw, from this idea, I find another idea. I think about uh, a people who have uh, same problem like me. So uh, I think about. Uh, provide help to another people that will make me to have uh, a good uh, heart and uh, a power to make more for people here. From this idea, we get uh, the plant and we have created the plant plant team. Some activities we are doing with Laura, really, uh, I'm always say I should uh, thank Laura for uh, create this team. And really, without her, this team maybe will die because she make everything to uh, uh, to make this uh, team to grow up. And thank God now, many people in Gaza know about uh, Blant Land team and about activities from the Blant Land team. 
maybe in the future, I hope to be like organization, a big organization to help everyone in this world. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. I love the story of how this came together. Anas, I'm, I just love how initially you were thinking that this was just kind of like a, a pipe dream and you were just so shocked that Laura said yes and that you were going to move forward with it. I love that. So yeah, just absolutely outstanding. So can you tell us a bit about how the work has been for you thus far? Um, so speak to some of your successes and also some of the challenges you, you face in doing the work. Yeah, you need to know I'm really proud of my team and really proud of Laura. Again, without Laura, we cannot successful, really. Also about uh, some challenge, you need to know in the uh, last war in Gaza, I'm with my team was uh, seeing, seeing the rockets come down from airplanes in the uh, ground in the Gaza, but uh, that's not make me to stop to go to visit the families to deliver the food and to provide the rent for them. So, I mean, we we see that we will die, but that cannot uh, stop me or my team to visit the people to provide the help for them. Uh, also, you need to know about something we create or we make the water wall, water wall for uh, people in Gaza, and we provide a healthy water to many families in Gaza. Uh, blind the land team, blind the land team, work two years, uh, since work since two years, and until now we help more than two or three uh, hundred, three hundred people uh, until now. Also, you need to know. Some of my team had the corona uh, virus because they are visiting the people and they are delivering the food to uh, people in Gaza. And uh, that's also not to stop the team to work and uh, to uh, help more people. Now, when uh, we know that some of the volunteers have uh, a COVID, we call another uh, volunteer to come and they not say no, they come and cover uh, the two volunteers that they have the virus. Also, we met uh, many people and we provide last time rent for more than uh, 30 families in Gaza. We pay rent for two months for them to uh, help them to reply their home. Also, in this year, we provide food packages to more than uh, 100 people for one month. I mean, uh, 100 people have food for one month. Uh, every month, uh, we help like uh, 3,000 people. And uh, the, the, the important thing that we cover many people so that make uh, the life a little easy for them. That's absolutely incredible and just really speaks to the dedication of the whole team that you're, uh, you know, doing this work despite all of these incredible risks, you know, the risks of being in this 
area that is being, you know, bombed and attacked by Israel, the risk of coronavirus, et cetera. So um, yeah, I just think that's absolutely amazing. Sorry, Laura, were you uh, going to add to that? Yeah, I mean, Anas is like, oh, thank you, thank you, Laura. Laura does too much. I'm like, I don't do anything <laughs> listening to this. You know, I mean, what Anas and the team have been going through to do this work is just inconceivable to most of us in this part of the world. I mean, they were out d- delivering food literally when the bombs were coming down. There's actually a video of Anas driving around with the food packages to distribute them. And, you know, you can literally see and hear things going on, um, you know, as he's driving. So, yeah, they have just been through so much and the coronavirus and people getting sick. And, you know, honestly, I really would like to highlight the team members more than we have been doing and get their uh, stories out there more individually, but they are very shy and they don't like the limelight. So that's why uh, it's just me and Anas kind of always um, in the spotlight, but the work that they do is so invaluable. And they are so incredibly dedicated to be doing this work, even as they are going through so much themselves. Um, So I'm just going to speak also a little bit about um, some of the successes and challenges on my side of things. Um, So I would definitely say, first of all, that the support that we have gotten has also exceeded my wildest dreams. And it's kind of funny, Anas, to hear you say that it was a joke when you first approached me about the team, because I never would have thought that. I always thought that the way you approached me seemed very confident and like you really believed uh, that this was going to happen. So you have a good skill with that if you ever need to convince someone uh, to do something that you think is not going to be possible, um, you you really really came off as very very self assured and very focused and driven. But yeah, I mean the way that people have responded, um, I really thought that we were going to have a hard time building support, that we were going to have a hard time fundraising. And I remember the first fundraiser that we did, Anas messaged me and he was just like, I can't believe how generously people have given, even just in the first night. The vegan community has been amazingly supportive and generous, and I really can't even express how much I appreciate that, especially considering that it's not the main issue of their focus as Palestine, but the fact that this is a vegan initiative, you know, I'm going to say that there's really much more support, I think, in the vegan community for you know, using this concept of veganism to help humans that are in crisis much, much more than I think people outside the vegan movement realize. Yes, obviously, the vegan movement is very focused on helping non-human animals. And of course, vegan initiatives do help non-human animals. But when it's humans that are in crisis and vegan food and vegan initiatives can help them, there's really quite a lot of support out there. Um, Obviously, a lot of people from the Free Palestine movement have also supported us. And I also want to give them a shout out because, you know, I know anybody who's familiar with the left um, 
you know, leftist movements for human justice can be very, very resistant to veganism. And so I was a little concerned at first that there was going to be that sort of criticism, you know, why are you doing a vegan fundraiser? You know, people in Gaza need food. They don't need to be picky about this. Um, And I, I should also stress for anybody listening to this that's not familiar with us. So the way we do it is the food itself that we distribute is all entirely vegan and plant-based, but obviously we don't expect anyone who's receiving the food or distributing the food to be vegan. It's just the food itself is vegan or the other uh, materials that we distribute are vegan. Um, But, you know, so we're not trying to control anyone. We're just saying, you know, as a vegan movement, this is a way that we can support Gaza without violating our ethics where animals are concerned. But um, there has been, you know, really just like a lot of openness and receptivity in both the vegan movement and the Free Palestine movement. And then just also so many other people who've supported us from various other social justice movements. Um, And actually, I have to say, even quite a few Jewish people who may, you know, just be starting to open their minds about Palestine. Um, You know, I've had some people in my family that have donated that, you know, um, this has really helped to kind of, I think, change their minds on this issue a little bit. So there's been a lot of support and that has been really wonderful. And I cannot express enough my gratitude and appreciation to everyone who has supported us and to you, Mexi, for having us on your show and for everybody that has really helped to signal boost the work that we're doing. And Anas, my gratitude to you is endless because I could never do this work to help Gaza if it was not for you and the other team members. So, you know, a lot of a lot of really positive things. Um, we have, of course, faced some challenges. <laughs> Uh, the hardest has been since the bombing of Gaza in May, obviously unspeakable challenges for the team members within Gaza, but for, you know, for me on my side of things, um, it's been very, very challenging to get the money that we have raised into Gaza because of the Israeli blockade on Gaza. So basically this blockade, um, you know, it kind of seals Gaza off from the rest of the world. So uh, Gazan people cannot enter and exit their own land. They cannot import or export goods. And also getting money into Gaza has also been sealed off in many ways. So, um, you know, for example, we raised quite a significant amount of money Um, during the bombing of Gaza, because everybody really wanted to support Gaza with this horrendous thing going on that everybody was hearing about. And it's been taking me months to get that money into Gaza, because I can only send it in small amounts. And then even when I send a small amount, there's long delays for weeks on end before they will actually release the money to Anas. So that has been quite nightmarish um, on this side of things because obviously they need that money urgently 
And it's it's been so difficult to get it in, harder than it ever was even before. Yeah, that's just absolutely terrible. I mean, I think that obviously, you know, the bombing and things like that, that really catches the headlines. Um, but there's all of this kind of slow violence that happens because of the blockade and just because of the, you know, the legal impositions or I mean the illegal impositions of the occupation in general. So yeah, I can imagine that's incredibly challenging. Yeah, it's uh, surprising actually. You know, there was one time that I was really struggling to try and get that money over there. And I went to a bank uh, to see if I could do a transfer with them. And they actually came back and said, we can't do it for political reasons. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is what oh, we're dealing with here. That's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So Anas, I wanted to ask you, because you're actually on the ground in Gaza, uh, you're delivering meals, you're delivering material support, like you said, providing rent to families who have lost their homes. Um, Can you tell us what is going on right now on the ground in Gaza? How is life for people and how much is not being reported in the mainstream press? About the situation in Gaza, you need to know the press or the TV not say uh, the trust about what happened in Gaza. We are under the blockade for uh, since many years, and you need to know that everything here very, very, very expensive. Like if we need to buy uh, vegetables, sometimes uh, one kilo for egg plants co- cost uh, $2, and sometimes it costs $5. Why? Because Israel bought much of fees and they uh, destroyed uh, many farms without any reason. Also, you need to know always Israel killing the animals, killing the people, and destroy the land without any reason. So that make everything here too bad. Uh, about the life here, because the uh, blockade, you, you should know that many persons uh, lost their work because many shops and many things was uh, sorry were closed because the uh, blockade. So that means the uh, worker lo- uh, lost their work. Uh, also, you need to know about the COVID. When the COVID be in Gaza, also many shops and uh, many uh, worker also uh, lost their work because the COVID and because the uh, blockade. So we have. Uh, two problems now, not just the blockade. No, we have a, prob- a problem with uh, COVID-19. And because uh, the COVID uh, border closed and the uh, stuff here being expensive too much. You need to know also about the last war. Many homes and many towers were uh, destroyed. And until now, we're waiting the Egypt government and Israel government to reply the homes and the uh, towers, but nothing happened uh, in Gaza until now. We uh, just get a promise from the governments. They will reply the homes, the tower, the hospital, the electricity, the water, bam, 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 like, like they said. And nothing, no, no one of uh, of the of those governments uh, say the truth, and the TV uh, not talk uh, talk about that. They they promise the people in Gaza 
that electricity will come every day. Until now, we just have electricity for uh, three or four hours in day. Uh, also about the medicine, you need to know uh, we buy the medicine and many of people are not able to buy the medicine. Why? Because the uh, medicine very expensive and because Israel bought a much of fees for uh, medicine and for a trade. For example, uh, last month, Israel closed border and not allowed to electronic to come to Gaza. My brother tried uh, to buy a fan. It was cost like $40 when the Israel closed the border and not allowed to electronic, electronic to come to Gaza. The fan cost like $100. Because that's my brother are not able to buy the fan, and you need to know it's very hot here, and uh, the the children uh, have a big problem, and they are always ill because the weather is very hot. So the situation in Gaza not believable, and uh, I think the animals not just the human, no, the animals also not able to live in Gaza. Israel uh, killing everything in Gaza. No one can live in Gaza. Animals, human, tree, uh, also the stone <laughs> not have a chance to live in Gaza. Israel use everything to destroy Gaza. Maybe next year or next two years, you will not hear uh, about Gaza. Why? Because Israel will destroy everything. You need to know when we uh, plant the trees, it, it cannot uh, grow up. Why? Because Israel was bombed the land and you know what the rockets are doing in the uh, land or in the ground. They uh, destroyed the, the land. So when we plant the trees, it will not uh, grow up. Also about the, the trees, I um, always say uh, people in Gaza, when they plant the tree or plant uh, the seeds or anything like this, they uh, take care like the sun. Uh, like my dad, I have a live tree in my home and my, da my dad always in the morning, go to uh, give the, the, the olive tree water uh, and try to care, uh, to take care of this tree. But when Israel bombed the land of uh, around my home, this tree now are not grow because the gas of the rockets. So my father will uh, cut the tree and he didn't like to do it until now because uh, he think uh, when he cut, uh, when he will cut this tree he will kill his son so this tree like his son and Israel not allowed to tree or to stone or to children or human or animals to have a good life in Gaza and that's news not say uh, that in the TV or in the program. Why? Because uh, Israel not allow 
to TV program or to news to say that. And I hope people can open mind to uh, know the truth about the Gaza and about what happened in Gaza. Yes, absolutely. Thank you uh, for sh- for sharing all of that. Um, you're right. I mean, in the news, it's usually presented as a quote unquote conflict, right, with both sides. And, um, you know, you don't hear about the fact that Gazans only have a few hours of electricity per day or, you know, all that you mentioned about the blockade and how difficult it is to get food, how difficult it is for for animals and trees and anything else to survive as well. Um, You know, for someone like yourself, who is a type one diabetic, to not be able to get the insulin that you need uh, at all times. I mean, that's just absolutely criminal. Um, And and these are uh, a lot of things, as you mentioned, that aren't often seen. So uh, Anas, you also recently spoke at the EcoAbility Conference, which was organized by Laura and the Institute for Critical Animal Studies. Um, And you were talking about disability in occupied Palestine. So can you tell us how disabled people are impacted by Israeli occupation in particular and how the conditions imposed by the occupation produce disabling environments for people who would perhaps otherwise be able-bodied? About the last conversation with Laura, really I want to thank her for care about disability. You need to know, really, we have a, a problem, especially in the war with uh, disability people. You know that disability people cannot uh, walk or cannot go uh, to any place when the uh, Israel bombs the home or bombs the land or bomb anything. So we have a problem to take them to leave the home or to uh, not allow to them to go out because Israel uh, can't bomb anything. Disability always have a problem because if you want, sorry to, to, say, to say this, but like if you want to go to bathroom, you can go, but you will be afraid because you think, oh, oh my God, Israel will bomb uh, the home. Last time, I was walk uh, in the street and uh, I see uh, someone uh, disability. He used his chair to walk, and when he see the rockets come to a ground uh, to uh, to ground in the Gaza, he cannot do anything. He can he cannot move or or go to any place. I mean, uh, the disability cannot uh, go to any place to hide him or herself. So he, he being uh, uh, he being afraid too much and he cannot do anything. Maybe uh, I can uh, talk about myself. I'm uh, a diabetic type one uh, and I'm say I'm a disability. Why? Because sometimes I'm not able to buy my medicine or to leave my home because Israel can bomb me so the disability how he or she can be able to uh, buy uh, what he wants he cannot move or he cannot walk or sometimes uh, he cannot say what he wants and always the war make the disability nervous and have a terrible problem in the war and uh, make a, a, a make a, a pressure for the family 
uh, when they being under the uh, war because I think if some of uh, my family is disability uh, and Israel say will destroy the home or sometimes Israel not say uh, they will destroy this home but they just bomb it so if they bomb the home and uh, this home have like two persons are disability how uh, the family can help this uh, disability it will be hard for them and you need to know uh, now because the blockade uh, we are not able to provide the chair for them because the blockade and now a chair for the disability is very expensive and you need to know also my brother since 10 years was injured uh, from the aircraft from the israeli aircraft and now he are not walk very well and maybe he need uh, some operation to cut his foot oh my god i didn't even know about that enough yeah you, you didn't know about that but no um, yeah, I'm. I'm say uh, that now because you talk, you talk, uh, you both talk, talk about the uh, disability, and uh, really in the war I was not able to work to to work with with him, and I was not able to do anything when they bomb the uh, land around uh, the home. In the last war, when they bomb the uh, land around the home uh, we carried uh, him out of his home the three of my brother carried uh, him out of his home and uh, we go to another home and after two days we back to home and thank god he was not injured again also in the war we was uh, take uh, him to hospital because he is like uh, slide in when he walk so and take him to the hospital but thank god he uh, had a, a little problem in his leg now wow uh yeah that's just absolutely horrifying i think that you know for a lot of people living in the west especially um it's hard to even conceive of what it would be like to live in such an environment and as you mentioned, all of the, the the fact that so many people are dealing with disabilities imposed by the the bombing and the blockade and and things like that, physically but also psychologically, I imagine. Um, I'm sure psychologically it can't be easy uh, also to be in such a situation. And yeah, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about your brother. Um, I mean, it's it's hard not to think that this is obviously. I mean, it is obviously deliberate, but it's uh, the result of disabling so many people and creating an environment that is so disabling um, also means that fewer people are able to really fight back, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really a strategy um, to maintain control and, and dominance and occupation. So just absolutely horrifying. But uh, I guess moving on to to better news and to um, what you both have been doing to to address all of this 
uh, in Gaza and, and to help people who are impacted by this uh, just horrid occupation. Plant the Land recently teamed up with Million Dollar Vegan, which is incredible, on, on a very big campaign to provide 3,500 vegan meals in Gaza. That's outstanding. So talk about how this collaboration developed and how impactful it has been and, and it how, how impactful it will be both materially for Palestinians and politically within more mainstream vegan spaces? So I guess I'll start on that one. Um, So yeah, it was very amazing because actually Naomi from Million Dollar Vegan um, just contacted us out of the blue. So it was totally unexpected. And she said, oh, you know, Million Dollar Vegan has started to... um, do these uh, vegan food distribution initiatives to different parts of the world where they are having the food crisis. And so she said, you know, we want to help Gaza. And Anas and I were both very overwhelmed. She said, you know, we're prepared to give $5,000 of food aid to Gaza. And the way they normally do it is that they actually find like a vegan restaurant or something like that where, um, you know, they go through them and then that restaurant donates the food and they make the food and all of that. But of course, in this case, we didn't have that sort of setup. So they decided to contact us and and Anas said, well, you know, um, we'll be the ones to actually produce the food and distribute it and all of that. And so, yeah, but of course it was made much more difficult than it should have been by the blockade because they gave us the money right in the midst of the bombing. And that was a wild meeting, by the way, because we had the meeting with Naomi from Million Dollar Vegan and she's speaking to us on Zoom. And meanwhile, Anas is there with the actual bombs going on in Gaza, right? As he was speaking, you know, at one point he actually said, you know, can you hear the planes flying overhead? So, um, oh my God. yeah, can you imagine this? You know, it was no. funny because she was kind of like, oh, you know, we're going to set up another meeting and what time is good for you? And, and I was like, how can we even, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, how do you function under these sorts of circumstances? You know, you can't like do the sorts of, Things that we think of as being normal in this part of the world is just like so abnormal in that context. So, yeah, it was um, it was really unbelievable. And then because of the blockade, that made it very, very, very slow for me to actually be able to get the money into Gaza. Like they gave us that five thousand dollars, and here we are in July, and I haven't even managed to get all of it into Gaza yet. I think I've sent, um, it's a, I think it's a little over $3,000 now, but I still have to get that last $2,000 of their money into Gaza plus other money that we've raised because they put so many limitations on how much you can send at a time. And I actually tried to get help with this from some organizations that have been doing aid in Gaza for a long time. Like I actually spoke to someone from, probably shouldn't say their name, but a big organization that um, does do work in Gaza. And I said, you know, can you help us to get this money in? And they said, 
actually the only reason that we're able to get it in is because we've had a presence in Gaza since 1948. And we can't even help Palestinians here who are trying to get money back to their families because of this blockade. So that has made it really, really difficult. But uh, we did do the first portion of the food distribution drive. And Anas made a video and took photos. And, you know, there are like all these placards that say, you know, food donations from Million Dollar Vegan and Plant the Land team on all the packages that he distributed. So now I guess people in Gaza know about Million Dollar Vegan, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> and then, of course, Million Dollar Vegan put it on their website. We did get some pushback from Zionists, but honestly, it was way, way less than I was expecting. The overwhelming majority of the comments. And of course, Million Dollar Vegan is a more mainstream vegan outfit. So I really wasn't sure how people were going to respond to this. And some people, of course, you know, had the usual venom and, you know, you're an anti-Semitic, you know, organization and I'm going to, you know, withdraw my um, support from you or I'm going to stop following you on social media or whatever. Um, but for the most part, people were really, really supportive and they were really praising them. And it was a really positive thing all around. Yeah, that's really, really incredible. Um, I, I will talk about it a, a little bit later in, in, in the interview. But um, I mean, mainstream vegan movements uh, or mainstream vegan organizations, you know, historically have not really touched this issue um, or yes. have been, you know, much more pro-Israel because Israel is the quote unquote vegan capital of the world. Right. So uh, so I think it's really, really incredible that Million Dollar, Dollar Vegan, which is a very mainstream outfit, as you said, uh, stepped up to do this and um, wasn't really concerned about the backlash. Right. I think that signifies kind of a shift. But um, yeah, absolutely. just absolutely amazing. So yeah. and I have to say also, um, just before we move on from this, um, actually, Naomi herself uh, is from South Africa. And so because of that, she was able to connect to that apartheid issue in a very visceral way, you know, through her lived experience. So yeah, but I, I agree. It was very surprising <laughs> that yeah. they decided to take a move that really could be very risky for them. And I really, really applaud them for doing that. And I, you know, it, part of it is a sign of a shift taking place, but it's also pushing that shift further in that direction for them to do this. So yeah. I really applaud them for taking that action at a time when it is still a pretty controversial issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say, it was a, a wonderful surprise from the million dollar vegan uh, as they uh, want to help Gaza. And this is happening for the first time through me and through the Laura and a million dollar vegan will uh, help people in Gaza. So it is the first time to work with uh, like this organization. But we uh, first, uh, some problem in, uh, you know, in the sending uh, money to Gaza. And uh, really, I hope the cooperation will continue between us and uh, between, uh, I mean, between me uh, and Laura and a million dollar vegan. Also, uh, you need to know, uh, I have, uh, I had tried to educate uh, people about the 
importance of a plant uh, also about the million dollar uh, vegans and the title of people know about the uh, work of million dollar vegan but you know not all people here are a uh, vegetarian yeah but at least they uh, know a little about the million dollar vegan it's also interesting to mention that the traditional palestinian diet is very much vegan friendly even though you know obviously not everyone in there is vegetarian like anas said and obviously when you're living in that sort of situation you know i mean we talk about food deserts here but that's like a billion times worse there in terms of not having food access and not being able to be selective but that being said the palestinian diet is just kind of naturally mostly overwhelmingly plant-based. Yeah, yeah. And Anas, we'll, we'll put your video that you made, we'll put links to um, both of the videos that you made actually um, in the description box below so people can check that out. So yeah, that's just wonderful all around. So Laura, I wanted to ask you, uh, you've written about one struggle, which was uh, an incredibly radical Israeli anarchist vegan movement that was both anti-capitalist and anti-Zionist. So I guess talk a bit about that and how and why that movement got co-opted by the mainstream consumerist vegan movement um, and whether or not there are still kernels of that kind of one struggle uh, kind of movement alive today. Right. So I really wanted to expose the history of one struggle and of, you know, this much more radical total liberationist anarchist movement from within Israel, uh, quote unquote Israel, I'm saying. Um, so to explain, you know, I actually feel like I have to kind of backtrack for a second here, just for anybody who's kind of unfamiliar with the history of that land. Um, it's a little confusing, so I'm going to explain it briefly. So basically, that land was entirely Palestine up until 1948. And through a series of events, the Zionists, so the Zionists are the uh, people who believe in there being a Jewish nation state on that land. They managed to get the backing of the UN to take over half of that land originally. It was just over half, it was 52% um, to create the Israeli nation state on that land. And then through a series of other events started taking more land and more land. And so now 78% of what was originally Palestine is what we would call Israel proper. And that's blocked off by a massive wall. Um, you know, we refer to it as the apartheid wall. And then you've got the occupied Palestinian territories or Israeli controlled Palestinian territories, which is Gaza and the West Bank and East Jerusalem, which is also Palestinian and which the Israelis are also trying to take over. And that is uh, kind of actually what kicked off this whole bombing situation that happened in May. So that's a very, very, very brief overview. So Gaza, of course, is controlled by the Israeli military. There are no Israelis living inside of Gaza. Um, and the Israeli military is not 
occupying Gaza from within Gaza, but it is controlling all of the borders of Gaza. And then, of course, in the West Bank, you have the actual Israeli military there, and you have the Israeli settlers living in these apartheid settlements there. So, um, so when I am talking about the um, one struggle and the Israeli anarchist movement, I'm talking about people who are living within that 78% of the land that is fully controlled by Israel, not the West Bank and Gaza and uh, East Jerusalem, I guess you could say is debatable. But so anyway, so one struggle basically was an Israeli anarchist organization uh, that happened in the 1990s. And it was one organization among many in a sort of bigger anarchist movement that was happening at that time. And because, you know, if you know anything about anarchism, anarchism is inherently anti-statist. So you could not be an anarchist and a Zionist, at least not a political Zionist, because anarchists literally do not believe in the whole idea of governments, nation states, borders, certainly not colonialism and imperialism. So really, you know, anarchists, they wouldn't say, oh, you know, a two-state solution versus a one-state solution. They would say a no-state solution. They would say, just get rid of the state altogether. And that was actually a very active uh, rising presence at that time period because actually um, because of the Oslo Accord, because uh, there were some movements being made between Uh, Yitzhak Rabin, who was a more relatively progressive Israeli prime minister who was actually assassinated by an Israeli right winger because they thought he was going too far to the left, compromising too much with Palestinians. So he was um, working with Yasser Arafat to kind of come out with some sort of a deal. And so because of that, there was sort of a mood within Israel among the left of, you know, kind of more optimistic at that time that, oh, you know, we want to push things in an even more radical, much more radical direction than that, which was not radical. But, you know, so that was really where there was this sort of flourishing going on at that time of thinking about these issues in these very interconnected ways And, you know, thinking about how the Israeli colonialism in Palestine, how that's affecting the ecology, how that's affecting the animals, um, gender dynamics of that, you know, how that relates to patriarchy and feminism and LGBTQ liberation and all kinds of things that were going on at that time. And certainly um, socialism as well, you know, wanting to get away from this capitalist uh, colonialism that was going on. And so that was kind of what was happening in the anarchist leftist movement overall. And One Struggle really epitomized that. The name One Struggle actually comes from the slogan, One Struggle, One Fight, Human Freedom, Animal Rights. So this group was very influential and it was very involved in Palestine solidarity work. And it was, you know, of course, vegan, and it was connecting it to all these other issues. 
And um, I wanted to highlight that history because, you know, when we hear about the Israeli um, vegan washing and exploitation of veganism and animal rights in order to sort of vegan wash their image and make themselves look progressive and uh, liberal and, you know, all this stuff um, and to hide their human rights atrocities and also to make themselves seem more civilized uh, in comparison to the quote unquote barbarism of the Arabs and the Muslims. This is their, um, you know, kind of agenda is this Islamophobic, racist, colonialist way of using veganism and animal rights to prove how, you know, decent and civilized they are. So, uh, you know, we usually hear about veganism in Israel, uh, either in the way of exposing the vegan washing that's going on, of Israel using that as a propaganda tool, or of course, you know, the mainstream vegan movement narrative is, oh, Israel is the vegan capital of the world, <laughs> and they have the world's first vegan army, and, you know, uh, just this total, like, propagandist version of things, unquestioningly swallowing that. So um, I kind of wanted to get away from that binary because, of course, you know, when you talk about the vegan washing as a problem, people will say, oh, well, you're just trying to um, discredit animal rights activism within Israel. And, you know, they shouldn't be blamed. The animal rights movement shouldn't be blamed for what the Israeli state military settlers establishment are doing. You know, they're just, they're trying to help animals, right? Um, and so I wanted to say, well, there is an Israeli animal liberationist presence that would be worth taking a look at and supporting because, you know, their way of looking at this issue is total liberationist and they are really marginalized by the rest of the Israeli society that is very pro-Zionist and, and anti-Palestinian. But we never hear about that side of things. So what happened with One Struggle is that they were very active during that time period uh, in the 90s. And the animal rights movement on the whole was very radical and very anarchist. And um, really uh, very anti-capitalist and talking about, you know, um, animal agriculture in terms of neoliberalism and capitalism and all this sort of stuff. Um, and of course, the occupation and uh, colonialism. And then what happened was uh, then, it, the, you know, the new government came in to Israel that was really more right wing. And the situation started to get much worse for the Palestinians, even. And so these Israeli anarchists that supported Palestine, they were like, you know, we have to kind of abandon one struggle with this very broad focus. And we really have to focus our efforts fully on supporting Palestine because the situation there is just getting too dire. So they then formed a new group called Anarchists Against the Wall because that apartheid wall uh, that Israel had built to block off yet continue controlling the Palestinian territories. Uh, they had just built that. So they became anarchists against the wall. And then eventually the Palestinian 
boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement was really picking up steam at that time. And so then the Israeli leftist anarchists formed a new group, uh, which is called Boycott from Within. And so that basically the work that they do is to support the Palestinian boycott and to urge the rest of the world to boycott Israel in support of the Palestinians. So they've gone through a number of um, transformations in their group, but you still have a lot of the same people involved that were involved with One Struggle um, or that came a little later, but that still have that total liberationist perspective. A lot of them are vegans and feminists and LGBTQ. Um, you know, you have like a lot of those same elements and certainly, you know, uh, climate justice activists and all this other stuff, in addition to obviously being very pro-Palestinian and doing a lot of solidarity work. That's their main solidarity work. But what's interesting is that just in the last few weeks, 972 Magazine, which is an Israeli leftist publication, uh, very good for coverage on the situation over there. And they just published an article about a new group that has formed that is called One Climate. So really kind of in a lot of ways, very much, uh, you know, from the heritage of one struggle, but now they're calling it one climate. And they are a group of activists that is focusing on resisting the Israeli occupation through a climate focused lens and connecting that issue to the land theft and colonization and oppression of Palestinians. So I think there is some of that energy kind of coming back and that that sort of um, total liberationist way of putting things together coming back. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is that there's also a group that has formed uh, called Vegans for BDS. And Vegans for BDS is a group that does include Israeli anarchists, and it also includes Palestinians, um, and specifically uh, vegan, and then also international activists. And so these are vegans who are urging the global vegan movement to please boycott Israel and boycott any vegan product or company or product that's marketed to vegans that does business with Israeli companies that are profiting off of the occupation or any company that's profiting off of uh, the occupation. So that's something that also has come out of that as well. So that influence is still there, even though one struggle doesn't exist as an organization anymore. Mm -hmm. That is so wonderful to hear about because honestly, um, you know, you don't often hear about the Israeli left. We, you certainly don't hear about the vegan Israeli left. Um, yeah. You know, there's kind of, uh, and, and as you said, you know, a lot of the country is very pro-Zionist, but I think it's important to hear about the resistance that is brewing kind of within um, that we don't, we don't always hear about because that's, that's really hopeful. Um, so that's great. Yeah, actually, they just came out with a very powerful statement in response to this most uh, recent bombing of Gaza. And not only were they urging for a boycott um, globally against Israel, but they were saying, you know, 
we're certainly calling for, you know, full decolonization of all of this land, the entirety of historic Palestine, and, you know, to the outside world, do whatever you have to do to, you know, support Palestinians to make this happen. So mm-hmm. it was, a, it was a really very, in my opinion, quite radical statement, mm-hmm. unconditional support for Palestinians to liberate all of that land. And of course, you know, obviously full Palestinian right of return and all the rest of it. And about 1,000 um, Israeli leftists signed this statement. Mm. Which for a country that's, I mean, if you call it a country, that's, you know. <laughs> but for um, <laughs> for whatever word you want to use for Israelis, um, you know, the population is not that big because the entirety of what is considered, you know, Israel proper, quote unquote, and Palestine, you know, all combined is the size of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So it's not huge. And a thousand people is not a lot of people, but it's something. It's more than, you know, I think a lot of people think exists there. Yeah, absolutely. And these are Israeli Jewish people specifically. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because you have people that have Israeli citizenship that are not Israeli Jews, but these were specifically Israeli Jews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really hopeful. So I wanted to ask about whether you thought that there's been, you know, a shift in the vegan movement uh, that you've seen where there are more and more people who are supporting Palestinians and the liberation of Palestine. Um, I know that you wrote recently about how mainstream organizations are still kind of, you know, playing into the vegan washing narrative and celebrating things like Israel's fur ban, even though it has a whole bunch of loopholes, but not saying anything about, you know, the bombing and the massacre of Palestinians. On the other hand, you know, I, I have seen in my experience, I think, you know, definitely a shift in, you know, vegans on the whole taking a stand and recognizing that anti-speciesism necessitates a total liberation approach. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. vegans for BDS and just in general, I see a lot more pushback when, you know, outlets like Veg News will post something like an Israeli vegan ad or something like that. They'll get a whole bunch of responses that are really pushing back against that. So, yeah, what, what's your take on this, um, on, on where we are right now and, and kind of um, if, if you've seen a shift in the vegan movement on this issue? Yeah, I definitely would agree that there is a significant shift happening in the vegan movement and also just in the West on the whole, I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. I I definitely see that there is a big shift happening where that's concerned. And I guess I should probably go back first and talk a little bit more about this issue of the vegan washing because I realized that I had so much to say about one struggle and about the uh, Israeli anarchists and all of that, that I didn't really talk about the vegan washing itself. But basically, just to really kind of give a brief overview, um, what happened and why the vegan community in other parts of the world started getting really bombarded with all of this Israeli propaganda to begin with is because, um, so basically, the Israeli establishment um, kind of wanted to give their image a makeover. And this all started about 
15 plus years ago. And originally it was, um, you know, it was after the second intifada that may have done some damage to their image, but it also had a lot to do with them kind of wanting to attract uh, young people to um, come to Israel to support Israel with tourism, uh, specifically young Jews, very important to Israel to get young Jews, specifically young Jews, to move there um, because that has everything to do with maintaining demographic dominance, right? So they have to make sure that there is this big, massive Jewish population there because otherwise the Palestinians would outnumber them. And so that's why there's all these restrictions on Palestinian movement and Palestinians can't uh, come back to the land that they were born in. Uh, there's no right of return for them. But meanwhile, any Jewish person from anywhere in the world can just pick up and move over there and they don't even ever have to have been there before. So this was a big thing. And of course they want young Jews specifically because they want young Jews who are going to start families. So they have even more Jewish demographic dominance. And they also want young Jews, of course, to be in the military to maintain that colonial occupation. So they were looking for things specifically to attract young people and specifically young Jews. And they knew that young people on the whole, and especially young Jews, tend to have kind of liberal, progressive <laughs> sorts of uh, interests. And so they actually um, set up this initiative called Brand Israel. And Brand Israel literally um, is just the, a propaganda wing for the Israeli government and military to make Israel's image look good. I mean, it's so much literally that, that even if you look up Brand Israel, you know, there's like a Wikipedia page and it tells you that right up front. So uh, they're not even trying to pretend it's anything other than that. And so Brand Israel was uh, doing all of this market research to try and find out what made young people, young Westerners, and but very specifically young Jews in particular, tick. And um, so they went to like all these marketing agencies, you know, really slick, you know, Saatchi and Saatchi and Rubicon and Young, you know, in New York. And they said, you know, can you do some research on this? And then um, those agencies came back and they said, oh, you know, here are some cool, trendy uh, causes that young people, progressive, hip, liberal young people are into these days. One of them, of course, was gay rights. And uh, so Israel started marketing itself is a gay tourism mecca, and that it was this gay haven in the quote-unquote Middle East. So again, um, you know, this sort of marketing themselves as the civilized Westerners in the midst of this barbaric desert of, you know, backwards Muslims, Arabs, you know, very racist, very Islamophobic. And, you know, so gay people could come there and be safe, whereas they would be beheaded in these other surrounding countries. And they started uh, really 
pushing their image in the gay community. And gay uh, and queer, I should say, specifically activists started realizing what was going on, specifically, in particular, Arab and Muslim queer activists saw what was going on. And they said, what is going on here? They are exploiting our struggle for liberation to make their image look good and to reinforce these racist, colonialist, Islamophobic ideas. So they started resisting it. And they actually uh, coined a term for what Israel was doing, and they called it pinkwashing. And so basically, this brand Israel uh, operation just uses <laughs> these different causes in this way. So it was gay rights, it was feminism, which was uh, called purple washing, it was environmentalism, greenwashing, of course. Um, and uh, they've even started using other types of identity politics now. I've seen them doing it with, and of course, now they're doing, they've been doing it with veganism and animal rights. So that's kind of um, the, the background of how the vegan movement in particular started getting all this Israeli propaganda and all of this Israeli marketing come to Israel and eat all this delicious vegan food, never mind the fact that they are intentionally starving Gaza <laughs> miles over, right? But we won't talk about that part. Look at this sumptuous vegan fest of food. It's a feast. And, um, and then they actually sponsored these uh, five very popular vegan YouTubers who have millions of followers combined on this vegan vibes tour, right? So all the vegans would see how wonderful Israel is for veganism and how much they love and care about animals. And um, of course, this was part of the reason why I wanted to do Plant the Land Team as well was because I was like, oh my goodness, this needs to be disrupted. Like I need to show the vegan movement Number one, Palestinians care about animals and ecology and, you know, they can, they care about these things too. And number two, this is the horrifying reality of what Israel is doing to them. So yeah, this was all going on. And um, of course, you know, vegans uh, in other parts of the world, they don't necessarily know what's going on over there. And when you have these big vegan celebrities you know, you've got like Joey Carbstrong and you've got Earthling Ed and you've got James Aspie and they're going to speak at the big, you know, animal rights march in Tel Aviv, which they're totally uh, violating the Palestinian boycott against Israel to, um, you know, expose what's going on over there and to pressure them to end their apartheid and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Um, but, you know, they they all go over there. And uh, and I should say that the reason why they're violating that boycott is because uh, one of the main tenets of the boycott is if you are a public figure, do not go to Israel and speak there or make public appearances there. Because if you do, you are adding legitimacy to Israel that, you know, this is a legitimate place, this is a legitimate situation. So, um, you know, they, they all went there anyway, all these big vegan figureheads, um, the vegan saviors, as they say, <laughs> they all went over there 
And so, of course, you know, all these vegans all over the world are seeing what's going on and they're saying, oh, you know, Israel is this wonderful vegan heaven and they love animals. And you had the Israeli military getting uh, vegan berets and non-leather boots and being served vegan food in the cafeteria. So, oh, we're the first vegan army in the world, never mind the fact that they were actually occupying another people's land. Also, like, I'm sorry, what, how, how are we defining a vegan army? Like, that's just a contradiction in terms. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it was funny because I'm also working with this um, peace organization, I should mention, promoting enduring peace that um, I may be uh, joining their board of directors soon. I don't know, we'll see. But I was speaking to one of the board members the other day about specifically what's going on in Israel with this. And he had never heard of it. And his eyes were like rolling backwards in his head. (laughs) He just could not believe the audacity of them. You know, as someone who's been like an activist in the peace movement for many decades, he just could not believe that they would have the nerve to do something like this. So, um, yeah. So basically this is how the vegan movement has been bombarded with all of this. And I do think there is a big shift taking place. And I think that that's for a number of reasons. I would say that part of it is, you know, really indicative of a much wider pattern of people starting to wake up that these issues cannot be fought in isolation, that they are all so intertwined. And I really have to give Black people, specifically Black Lives Matter, and specifically the movement for Black lives, and also Kimberly Crenshaw and her whole term intersectionality and what that means, and other um, Black women who have spoken about things in intersectional ways like Angela Davis and like the Kambahi River Collective. Um, But, you know, very specifically, Black Lives Matter has kind of really um, pushed this to the fore recently. And intersectional feminism as well has really pushed this to the fore of this idea of you cannot fight these things in isolation. And that's actually been a really big influence on campuses. And I noticed like about five years ago, um, you know, intersectionality be becoming like a very prominent term that everybody started using. And it was interesting because, you know, I was noticing that they're, you know, coming out of these movements like intersectional feminism. And they were saying, well, you can't be a feminist and a Zionist because guess what? Palestinian women <laughs> you have to care about their rights too if you're a feminist, right? And all the marginalized genders and all people that, and, and guess what else? Colonialism stems from patriarchy and is in a, a form of patriarchy, right? So you can't call yourself a feminist unless you stand in solidarity with the Palestinians. You cannot be a Zionist and a feminist. You cannot be a Zionist and also support Black Lives Matter because guess what? There are, um, number one, there are Black Palestinians. Number two, uh, this is another issue of apartheid, 
like apartheid in South Africa or like the Jim Crow South in the U.S. Um, you know, also the Israeli military are training U.S. police officers. U.S. police are going to Israel to receive training to brutally suppress the colonized and indigenous and formerly enslaved populations here. So don't say that you support the liberation of Black people if you don't support also the liberation of Palestinians. So this was something that was coming out, you know, Black Lives Matter came out and made this very, very powerful solidarity statement and video right at the time when the Black Lives Matter movement was picking up steam. So um, they made that very clear that these things would not be welcome. Um, LGBTQ spaces, same thing, right? You cannot bring your Zionist propaganda in here. It's not welcome here. So that really kind of set those standards that that was not going to be tolerated in movements for justice and liberation, because that includes, justice and liberation includes everyone. There's no exception for Palestine. So like another really, really important reason for the shift is the Palestinian boycott divestments movement, um, you know, as that has gained publicity, what's really great about that uh, is that, number one, it has given um, people in the rest of the world a way to feel empowered to actively be able to do something about this issue so that they're not just, you know, looking at it and being horrified, but then, you know, feeling so powerless. So, that's part of it. Um, the other thing is it has really, really served to reframe this issue um, very clearly as a situation of oppressor and oppressed, as a resistance struggle that, you know, can be done in a nonviolent way, um, you know, and that basically kind of gives Palestinians a way to resist what is happening to them without always having to resort to, to violence is their only means of it. Because before the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, you know, usually when we heard about Palestinian resistance, it was in the form of suicide bomb attacks. And so when we would hear about that, you know, people would be like, in, in other parts of the world, they would be like, well, you know, I don't really know what's going on over there. But regardless, this is horrible. And, um, you know, and, and it made it seem like it was much more of a quote unquote two sided issue than it actually was. And people saw it much more in terms of it being a military conflict rather than this is one oppressive, powerful group that is dominating and oppressing a group that is powerless in the situation and where it is a clear cut case of colonialism. Um, so you know, boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement really kind of reframed the terms in which a lot of Westerners were viewing the situation there. And I will also say that, again, you know, just this general movement towards, um, you know, Black liberation and intersectional feminism and all of that has really, I think, helped a lot of people, at least in my country, in the U.S., to just understand privilege and oppression dynamics on the whole better than they did before. So that's, and, and even just the whole notion of colonialism, which is something that, you know, a lot of people here didn't really understand before the last few years. 
so those were some factors. And I also want to say that another really big factor is the internet just and social media specifically, because one of the big things that Palestinians always had uh, really standing in their way was that they were always shut out of the conversations about them because it would always be just this like mainstream media narrative uh, that was totally controlled by those in power. And that again, framed the terms under which people in this part of the world understood what was happening there. And the Palestinians had no say, they had no platform. So when social media came along, you had Palestinians suddenly being able to participate in these discussions directly and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, you need to listen to my actual lived experience of what is going on to my people and to my community and, and family and to me. And so that really um, changed the dynamics. And the other thing that I would mention that was very pivotal in all of this is the, oh, two other things. First of all, I, I do want to say that Palestinians have also been engaging in other forms of nonviolent resistance, like, for exact, example, the Great March of Return, where they were marching every week to the, um, it's not an actual border, they call it a green line, but it's where Gaza ends and um, quote unquote Israel begins. And they were marching there every week to say, let us out. You know, we're imprisoned in our own land. You are keeping us as, like, a, like it's a concentration camp, open air concentration camp in our own land. And uh, the talk about disability issues connecting with this, the Israeli military was opening fire on them week after week after week. And so you have like a whole generation of young Palestinians, many of whom are missing legs or other limbs because of this. So, you know, these are all kind of things that happen to kind of change this from being perceived as a two-sided debate or a two-sided, not debate, a two-sided issue to a very clear case of an oppressor and an oppressed. The two other things I wanna mention about this are that you have a new generation of young people that are just being exposed to this issue for the first time. They're not being exposed to it through the mainstream media narrative, they're being exposed to it through social media. So again, decentralization of that narrative and they're being introduced to it, their ideas about it are being shaped by a much bigger diversity of voices and many Palestinian voices themselves. Um, so that's a really positive thing. And the other thing is Zionism has become increasingly associated with the far right, with uh, right wing religion um, and you know fundamentalist religion. And all of these things that are really getting it away from seeming like a centrist issue or even a, you know, an issue that liberals would support into the far right. And that has to do with a combination of, number one, just the Israeli government and society moving further and further and further to the right. 
um, really, really being driven in large part by um, the Orthodox Jewish community there who have these massive families specifically to maintain and grow their demographic influence and therefore their political influence. So you've got that going on. And then, of course, in the U.S., which is very significant to all of this because the U.S. is, of course, the big superpower that is backing Israel, funding Israel, providing Israel with pretty much all of its military weapons. Uh, and in the U.S., you have um, Trump backing Israel, you know, unconditionally. You have the evangelical Christians backing Israel. So Israel is becoming more and more aligned with that side of things and moving further and further away from being associated with anything progressive or liberal or even really centrist at this stage. So you have a lot of factors going on um, where this shift is taking place on a broader level. But then within the vegan movement, you also have it taking place because, of course, in some ways, our movement is really kind of like a microcosm of what's going on in the bigger movement. So yeah, we are having these conversations within the vegan movement of how does this relation, this issue of veganism and animal liberation connect to these other issues. And you also have um, Palestinians themselves coming out with vegan initiatives, animal liberationist initiatives, um, that we're hearing about in the vegan movement. You know, uh, Plant the Land team is one, but you've also got the Palestinian Animal League and you've also got Vegans for BDS and you've also got um, a few other organizations that I wrote about. Hugs Sanctuary in the West Bank is another one. Um, you've got Sulala Animal Rescue Organization in Gaza that's helping animals that have been affected by um, the bombings and everything else that Anas has been talking about that's going on in Gaza. So, you know, that's kind of, um, and then of course, also people speaking about the issue with vegan washing. And so Palestinians themselves and also animal rights activists who support Palestine talking about vegan washing as an issue. So that's all helping to shift the attitudes in the vegan movement on this issue, I think, in quite a significant way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really well said. It kind of seems like the perfect storm of all these movements kind of converging, which exactly. is just gives me so much. It just Sometimes I just get moved to tears, honestly, when I see kind of this kind of thing happening, right? Like movements really converging because I just yes. know how much power there is in that. And it just kind of exactly. gives me, it gives me goosebumps, honestly. Um, but yeah, I was thinking, it, yeah, also, as you mentioned, you know, the land back movement um, has also mm -hmm. really, really tied themselves with with Palestinian liberation as well. So it's this perfect storm. And then, as you said, you had, as soon as I saw Trump, you know, really, really getting in bed with Netanyahu and being super cozy and, you know, Jared Kushner or whatever, I was like, okay, this is going to turn some people off, you know, yeah, <laughs> because you know. the the political situation was has been so polarized, you know, even just between Republicans and Democrats in the US. And so I feel like, there are so many Democrats that just hated whatever Trump did, no matter what. So I was like, well, him, he, him being so openly pro-Israel is actually, you know, probably going to hurt mm -hmm. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are totally shooting themselves in the feet. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny to watch it, to be honest. I mean, I had this, I had this image recently of Zionists, you know, spewing their talking points. And I had this image of somebody who's like, 
talking into a phone and they don't re- realize that the other like the person on the other end, the connection has been lost or they've walked away. And so they're <laughs> continuing to spew their talking points, but the other person isn't hearing them anymore. That's what I think is going on mm-hmm. with the Zionist movement. And obviously I could not be happier about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you so much for, for speaking to some of the um, Palestinian animal liberation initiatives. That's really important to hear about because as you said, you know, um, that's one of Israel's kind of racist talking uh-huh. points is that Palestinians are just too backwards and uncivilized right. to be vegan, which is just so gross on so many levels. So yeah, thank you for highlighting uh, some of those really important initiatives. So I thought we could end the podcast off by discussing and dispelling some of the propaganda that I have been seeing surface in the vegan, in certain vegan spaces, uh, mainly on Instagram. Um, because as much as we just talked about there being this incredible shift and, you know, so many more vegans understanding the connections between all of these movements and really, really fighting for the rights of Palestinians as part of a total liberation framework. I am still seeing a lot of very well-meaning vegans who do care about social justice and who don't want to do harm and who don't want to be anti-Semitic. I see them following a number of accounts on Instagram or kind of sending things to me and asking me questions like, you know, what is this? This is confusing. Um, And I do think that there are a lot of well-meaning people who are getting confused. So I thought, you know, you you both are such fountains of knowledge on this. So maybe we could talk about some of these talking points that I see coming up and that seem to be confusing people who do want to fight for total liberation. So the first one is that Jews are actually indigenous to the region. And so it's not settler colonialism. It's actually decolonization. Um, So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that talking point? Anas, do you want to speak to that one first and then I'll answer? The Israel army and many of the Jewish, not the original people in the, uh, the Palestinian land. We have Jewish, yes, and uh, they know that the land for Palestinian, but not all Jewish uh, in the Palestinian are original people in the land. That's the important uh, point, and everyone should know that. We have Jewish, but not all Jewish are original uh, people in this land. A few of them are original people, and you need to know some of them are live in the uh, capital city of Palestine. But now the Israel government sent invitation to uh, Israel uh, people in the Russia and USA, UK, Somalia, uh, Morocco to come to Palestinian to stall the land of uh, Palestinian. So, like I said, the important thing this land for Palestinian people, not for Israel government or Israel people. And the important point also that uh, all Palestinians not have a problem with uh, Jewish or with uh, Israel, Israel who are not live in the Palestinian land. For example, if I come to your home, Maxi, and I told you you should leave your home. And uh, I told you that because I have the power, I have uh, everything. 
how you will feel. I think you will be sad and you think how you can back your home. And that is what happened to Palestinian. Israel uh, tell, the, tell the Palestinian people to uh, destroy their home and to leave their home to stall it because they want to give the land to, to Israeli people. And Israeli people didn't have the right to have this land. That's important points for me and for everyone to let them know about why we have a problem with Israel, Israeli people. Uh, like I said, again, they are uh, not regional uh, people in this land, and this land just for Palestinian. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely most of the Jewish people that are currently living in that land, they are not originally from there. Their ancestors were not originally from there. Um, what happened was, so if you go like all the way back to ancient times, so we're talking like thousands of years ago, originally that land was actually called Canaan. And um, so if you're if you're really looking at this, like, because again, we're going back to ancient history, like the Jewish presence that they're talking about is from biblical times. And in the post-biblical era, like Anas said, there was a very small, there was a small Jewish population there that was there all through that time. Um, and they lived very peacefully with their Muslim and Christian neighbors. There were not conflicts. You know, it cannot be stressed enough that this is not a religious conflict. And by the way, there are Palestinian Christians living there, as well as Palestinian Muslims. And, you know, Palestinian Christians are also living under uh, occupation, all the rest of that, which is ironic that these Christian groups that support Israel so strongly uh, don't really acknowledge that. But, um, you know, if you go all the way back to the ancient times, what happened was so originally the land was called Canaan. And uh, you had many different tribes living there. Um, but according to the Jewish Bible itself, according to the Old Testament, the Jews originated actually, so this was going back to the Neolithic era, and they originated from actually Sumeria, which is modern day Iraq. And they came over there led by Abraham, who supposedly had a vision of God, where God said, oh, you are the ones who worship me, and not these uh, people who are living in Canaan, they're worshiping other gods that are false gods. And so therefore, I'm going to, quote unquote, give you that land. And that's where the whole notion of the Jews are the chosen people come from. So actually, literally in the Bible, um, it calls the time period when the Jews come into Canaan, it literally calls it the Jewish occupation of Canaan, which there is no small irony in that, that you know, even back then they're referring to it as an occupation. And so eventually there's like this, you know, story of this 200 year war that goes on. And eventually the uh, Jews or the Hebrews as they were being called at that time, um, 
basically kind of like militarily take over that land from the indigenous people who were originally in that land because it was not a land without a people for people without a land, even back then, which is the saying that the Zionists used about Palestine when they came to take it over in the 19, well, the early 19th century uh, and going into the 1940s. But, um, you know, so that was still a, a situation of colonialism and military occupation, even back then, according to the Jewish Bible. So uh, that is where they created the first, what they called the Kingdom of Israel. And, um, you know, eventually what ended up happening with that was that they then got occupied. And, oh, they didn't like living under colonial occupiers and they resisted. And so first they had the Greek occupiers, then they had the Roman occupiers. And um, eventually the Roman occupiers basically kicked a lot of them out. And that is what is known as the Great Expulsion. And that's, according to the story, because there is some dispute on what exactly happened there, you know, with historians. But according to the story, that's how they ended up in Europe and in other parts of the Middle East and maybe even uh, the African Jews. We don't know if uh, that came from that or if that came from other things that came before that. Nobody really knows for sure. But that's basically the story. So, you know, they were colonial occupiers. They were then occupied by colonial occupiers. And there's no doubt that that ancient history plays a very important part of Jewish history and legacy, but that does not mean that they can then march in to Palestine, you know, coming and Zionism was, was a movement that came from Europe. So this was originally primarily European Jews coming from Europe with you know, the full intention of coming in and taking over that land by force if necessary. And, you know, the way that they originally did it was that the um, Jewish National Fund, which was a big Zionist organization, came in and started buying that land, but it wasn't buying it from the Palestinians, because this is another Zionist talking point is they'll say, well, we didn't invade, we bought the land. And I always say, bought it from whom? Because they didn't buy it from the Palestinians, they bought it from the Ottomans, because the Ottoman Empire at that time, which was Turkish, was really controlling uh, not just Palestine, but that entire region. And so the Jewish National Fund came in, they bought the land from the Ottomans who were controlling it from afar. So the Ottomans made money off of it. Um, but then they just came in and literally started kicking off the Palestinians that were actually living on that land and farming that land, you know, to live off of it and making them homeless. And so, of course, if you go in and you start picking, kicking people off their land, they're going to get upset about that. And so that's where it really started. The, the conflict between them was always, always a land dispute. And it was always the Zionists coming in and taking over that land by force. 
And like I said, you know, um, I, I don't know how anyone could call that decolonization when you've got people that have never been to Palestine that have no direct connection to Palestine that are coming from Europe and that even if you go all the way back to the beginning, you know, that was always a colonial presence in that land. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um I mean, there's a few things as well that, you know, okay, if it's really decolonization, then why are indigenous nations all across the globe so vocal in their support for Palestine? Like, do you think that they just have it wrong, right? And this isn't something that's that's new, right? Like indigenous populations have been supporting Palestine uh, for decades and decades now, right? It's not... That doesn't make any sense. Um, Absolutely. And then also, if you look at the architects of the Zionist movement, if if you look at what the the you know original Zionists who were taking over the land, if you look at what they were actually saying, I mean, they're quoted in saying that they know very well that what they're doing is colonialism and that they they want to um, you know copy what was done in the Americas. Yeah. There. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Naked. I mean, it's like it came literally out of the era of European colonialism. Mm-hmm. And it was an ideology that was very much shaped by that ideology that was pervasive throughout Europe at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so thank you both for that. Um, so the next issue is that we have a lot of people, even people who seem to care about social justice saying that we, oh, but what about Hamas, right? We need to deal with Hamas, right? And I've seen all these people saying that, you know, the left are actually terrorist sympathizers because they are supporting the Palestinian people, which is unbelievable. Um, But my question is, you know, like, to what extent are they actually quote unquote terrorists? And to what extent are they scapegoats, right? Like, I'm not saying that, you know, um, there wouldn't be some kind of, you know, unsavory parts to their platform or whatnot. But freedom fighters, as we know, are always labeled terrorists, right? The Kurds are labeled terrorists um, in the US and in Turkey, you know, Nelson Mandela and people fighting against apartheid in South Africa were deemed as terrorists, right? Like people who are fighting for their freedom and using militant tactics to fight for their freedom are always labeled as terrorists. And it's a really um, potent political tool to discredit people, right? And, um, you know, anyway, I'll I'll let you both speak. But, um, you know, my my partner, uh, who, as I mentioned, is an an anti-Zionist Jewish person, is always just like, yes, but okay, imagine that you're living, if I was living in Gaza and undergoing, you know, the bombings and the embargoes and having no electricity most of the time and not being able to access food and medicine and whatever, you know, wouldn't it make sense to support, you know, a party that's saying, hey, we're going to fight back really militantly against this? You know, I, I just don't understand how that wouldn't be completely understandable, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah, what, what is your take on that? So about the truth, if anyone defend, uh, defend about himself, is, the, is that mean he is a tourist? Wow. When the Israel using the aircraft and using the 
tanks and uh, doing everything. Also, Israel used the phosphorus and gas. All all weapons they used in Gaza. And when the Palestinian defend about their soul, they said, "Wow, Palestinian uh, are tourists and they have rockets. They have weapons. Oh my God, how many Israel died in last war?" Two, one, but about how many Palestinians was died in last war? Thousand. How many children? Uh, 53 children was died. Why no one said about uh, what Israel doing in the uh, Gaza or in the Palestinian, in the, in the Palestine? What Israel doing in the Jerusalem, Ramallah? Gaza, why why the, the, the people they didn't say or do anything about this? We are not a tourist. We need to be free. We need uh, to have a good life. We need to travel. We don't need to be uh, in the same place. We, we don't need to be afraid that Israel uh, can use the aircraft and destroy the home or killing that children, we don't need to be like this. Why, why we, they they said about Nelson Mandela? He fight the war. He fight because he want his country to be a free. And we are like this. We are like Nelson Mandela. We are like many people who who won't need to be free. That is the dream of Palestine. We need to be a free. I have, uh, I have right to visit my capital city. I have right to visit the Jerusalem and Al-Aqsa Mosque. Why Israel not allow to me to do this? They are doing this because just they have the power and many countries uh, help them and support Israel army. About uh, Palestinian residents, they are not killing children of Israel because the Quran and uh, my religion told me this but when some uh, one uh, fight me and uh, tried to kill me I should defend uh, about myself I, I, I should not uh, equip so because of that uh, we are not tourism we have the right to, uh, we have the right to defend about themselves and about what Israel is doing. In, in, in the last 10 years, the Israel always start uh, the war and killing the children, the women, the, uh, 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 all the, uh, the illiterate and everything. And like I said, Israel people, Israeli people, not are the uh, land owners because that's, they destroyed everything. Uh, before two days, I watched in the YouTube someone from Jerusalem try to help the bird because Israel using the gas and people Palestinian cannot uh, breathe and this bread uh, was uh, being in the in ground and he, the bread cannot breathe and the uh, Palestinian man tried to help this bread. So we, we care about everything in, in, in the Palestine. 
who have uh, right in this land and who try to help and save this land think about everything about stone about animals about human about everything who have uh, and who are afraid about his land always doing this but israel army and israeli people didn't care about this they just went to steal uh, the land and the homes from palestinian people so again we are not tourists just read uh, a true news and you can know who, who is the tourist israel like dash like isis they are not different about them they killing everything and israel doing like them so they are not different they are the same and you need to know we are not support uh, Daesh, uh, ISIS. We are not support them. We hate them. They are not Muslims. Muslims not doing this. Muslims care about all people. I don't like to talk about religion, but really, if you read the Quran and read about the Prophet uh, Muhammad you will know that trust. Uh, the Prophet uh, Muhammad say, we should not cut the tree or killing the children or killing the elderly. Uh, the Prophet Muhammad said, if someone uh, try to kill you, you should uh, defend about yourself. And Israel doing that, they didn't have right to be in my land. They should leave and we need to be free. We have right to go in anywhere of uh, Palestinian land, but because Israel have the weapons, have the uh, power, and many countries support them, they control everything. Why Israel from Russia come to Palestine? The Israeli from Russia should be in Russia. The Israeli from United States should be in United States, not come to Palestine. If he need to come like a visitor, welcome but not like a tourist or like occupation. Uh, maybe I cannot speak more about that, but really we are feel like unhappy or feel like sadness because many countries uh, try to destroy a Palestine country and try to destroy Gaza city without anything. Everyone should know we are a human like many people in other countries. That children, they should have a good life like other children in other countries. Why we didn't, we didn't have this? Because Israel uh, control everything and because many people still not wake up and they didn't know that right. Yeah, I would say... Um... From my perspective, uh, speaking from the U.S. and my part of the world, you know, it's like, first of all, I want to make clear because I think a lot of people don't understand this. Hamas is the government in Gaza. They are the political party that is in power as the government of Gaza. 
So saying that they are a terrorist organization is like saying that the Republican Party is a terrorist organization, which I would actually agree with that it is a terrorist organization, but that's the sort of thing that we're talking about here. Um, and you know, it's very ironic to me that people will say, oh, Hamas is a terrorist organization, but then they won't say something like Likud is a terrorist organization, which is uh, the Israeli political party that has been in power under the Netanyahu government. And now there's a new party that's in power that's even worse, but yeah. Yeah, sorry for that. But if we, uh, I, I just have a question, why Israel and USA said Hamas is terrorist. Okay, Hamas is the government in the Gaza, but why they say Hamas organization are terrorists? Just because they have weapons? Oh my God, Israel yeah. have tanks, aircraft, many yeah. weapons. Why they didn't say Israel are terrorists? Well, I mean, it's, I can answer that. It's because they... But why Israel not terrorists? Well, it's like this thing about, you know, Israel always claims, oh, you know, the Palestinians or Hamas refuse to acknowledge its right to exist. But in actual fact, it's, first of all, you know, do they have a right to exist as a nation state in that land? No, you know, it's complete colonization. But the other thing I'm going to say is that it's actually the other way around. It's that the U.S. and Israel do not recognize that Palestine has a right to exist. And so therefore, if Palestine does not have a right to exist, then it has no legitimate government. So therefore, Hamas, because it opposes Israel and because it militarily opposes Israel, it's just a terrorist organization because they don't acknowledge it as being a government because they don't acknowledge Palestine as a state. So that's why they can get away with this. Whereas mm -hmm. if people understand what the situation is, you know, then they can be better understand that Hamas is a political party and you know, you can like or not like that political party, like any political party, right? But that doesn't make them any, you know, that doesn't turn them into something other than a political party, because that's what they are. They're a political party that is running the government there. So mm -hmm. that's the first thing that I just want to make clear for people listening, because, you know, I certainly didn't know that before I got more involved with this issue. And I think a lot of people don't realize that in other parts of the world. Um, you know, now our governments, especially the US, are not supporting Hamas. They are supporting Israel. And the US is pouring $3 billion a year of US taxpayer money into Israel and specifically providing Israel with all the weapons that it needs to continue to oppress the Palestinians and steal and colonize their land. So it's like, you know, Hamas is not the one that your government is supporting. Israel is the one that your government is supporting. And Israel is the actual powerful oppressor and colonizer in this situation. So you know, you criticizing Hamas, what is that? Why would you do that? 
that's not number one, going to do anything. And number two, all it's going to do is make a lot of Palestinians feel like you are aligned with their oppressor and you are trying to make things worse for them. You know, it's, uh, out of your lane, <laughs> as we say, unless you're Palestinian. If you're Palestinian and you don't like Hamas, you can say you can say that if you feel safe to say that. But for outsiders, this is not helpful. This is out of your lane, and this is actually um, making things worse for Palestinians. So if you really, you know, if you're coming from a country that is supporting Israel, or even if you're not, but if you want to help Palestinians, you need to target. Israel. Israel is the issue. And the Palestinians have provided us with a way to do that, which is the Palestinian boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. So they need you to support that movement, to participate in the boycott, to boycott the products that they're telling you are on the boycott list, to boycott the public figures that go to Israel or do business with Israel or Zionist organizations or anybody that's profiting off of Israel's theft and colonization of Palestinian land um, to divest from companies. If you have investments that do business with any of that or make money off of any of that, that's how you can actually be useful in this situation in helping Palestinians. Mm -hmm. So that's, basically, you know, this, and, you know, I mean, there's like, there's a, there's a role for you in this situation and that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also have had like some vegans or I've seen them like kind of sharing this kind of propaganda that is saying things that like, Oh, like in the Hamas charter, they say that like every, um, Palestinian needs to like kill at least one Jew or something, something like really outlandish like that. Um, and, uh, like, I don't know if that is just straight up propaganda or if that was something that was, you know, in place a really, really long time ago. But, um, as far as I know, their current charter is very much, it very much makes clear, you know, we are not anti-Jew, you know, like we love Jewish people. We are anti-occupation. We are anti-colonial settlement here, right? It seems to be very measured. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, so yeah, a few others are, I mean, yeah, people will say that, oh, well, the two-state solution is possible and preferable. Or I've even heard people heard people say, um, if if you try to argue that we need a one-state solution with equality and justice for all, that is, you know, decolonized, people will say, oh, but but that already exists. Like they're like you know, people already do live uh, equally there, and it it is a de- wonderful democracy uh, in, in the Middle East and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, thoughts on that. And then the last one is that because there are anti-Semites who are using this movement or or, sorry, because there are anti-Semites who are using this moment to express anti-Semitism that the left needs to distance ourselves from the free Palestine movement. Oh my God. (laughs) As a Jewish person, that last one, I'm just so horrified. About uh, (laughs) the solution. Do you think if I told you, Maxi, I, I went out of your home, do you think that uh, <laughs> for you and for me? Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that's good. Mm-hmm. And how Israel government want to take part of my country? And what about people who live in Lebanon and, and uh, I, I mean, a, a refugee? How they come back to their home if they, if the Israel government take uh, the part of my land? I think uh, that's not a, a good solution. The good solution is Israel people should back to their uh, countries who come from uh, Russia, from United States, from UK, from any countries should back to their countries and my refugee should back to their homes. That that is the solution. But if they take a part of my land, how the refugee can back to their home? I'm not find a solution. No, I make a problem. So uh, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure not. Uh, I don't miss. I don't say the, that I'm not. No, I'm sure that uh, the solution should be like Israel. People should back to their countries. Countries and the refugee, the Palestinian refugee, should back to their uh, home in the Palestine. And that is the solution. So I'm going to actually um, go back to a last thing about this uh, question of Hamas being terrorists. Um, and so therefore, you know, somehow, I don't know how they jump from there to, so therefore we can't support the Palestinian people <laughs> in their own liberation struggle from Israel, that that somehow equates supporting Hamas in people's minds. Um, You know, I think that as a just sort of a general point here, we need to get over this idea that um, a government equals their people or that, because this is not just limited to Gaza. This is like really, um, you know, a very common idea across the board of this idea of oh, you know, supporting the people means supporting the government or more specifically that, you know, the government is the people or it is the country. So that's just a general thing uh, that I wanted to mention on that. But the other thing is that, um, you know, of course, people used to say that the IRA was a terrorist organization and they did, of course, commit terrorist attacks. But you might notice that after England pulled out of Northern Ireland, <laughs> whoo, the IRA stopped attacking England. <laughs> I wonder how that happened or why. You know, it's like if you want there to stop being violence or, you know, attacks, then stop committing them yourself. So this is like a very straightforward solution where that's concerned. You know, Hamas is not going to, uh, and and like Anas said, um, you know, there's a statistic, he didn't mention this specifically, but there's a statistic that goes around, um, you know, where somebody did the, they kind of like crunched the numbers and they said more Israelis are dying from peanut allergies than Hamas rockets. Hamas rockets do not kill very many Israelis, uh, certainly you know, very, 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 I mean, if you look at the numbers between that versus 
the number of Palestinians that Israeli bombs kill. Like Anas said, it's like maybe one Israeli to every 100 Palestinians. So, um, but if you, you know, but there's no reason for even that to be the case if Israel would just leave Gaza alone. Um, so that was the first thing I wanted to say. And then as far as the two-state solution is concerned, so basically their two-state solution uh, involves Israel, who is, of course, the colonizer, the occupier. You know, this is the entity that came into Palestine that existed as one whole and took it over by force and went through it, wiping out whole villages you know, um, in the Nakba, which was uh, the Arabic word for the catastrophe that was at the start of the creation of the state of Israel on Palestinian land. Um, Their two-state solution would be Israel controlling 78% of that land and the Palestinians having 22%. And of that, the 22% is the most infertile land. It is not connected in any way. Palestinians would have to cross over um, through Israel to get from one part of their land to the other. There's also hundreds of thousands of Israeli settlers living in these apartment uh, apartheid settlements in the West Bank. Israel has seized all of that land as well, not just the settlements themselves, but also there's like roads connecting the settlements. There's whole cities around the settlements with all kinds of hospitals and schools and all of this is segregated. So, I mean, this is like ridiculous to think that that is in any way, shape, any way or shape fair. Um, You know, basically if you believe in a two-state quote-unquote solution, then you don't really believe in Palestinian rights. And the other thing is that Israel uh, would never want to let the Palestinians return to their own land. That was another issue with the two-state so-called solution, because again, there's that demographic issue. They always want to maintain demographic supremacy. Just the whole idea of the Jewish state in and of itself is based on this idea of Jewish supremacy in that land, that there has to be Jews in power and that they will do whatever it takes to make sure that they maintain the power. Uh, They certainly are not going to, you know, want to give that up. So, yeah, I mean, it's just basically an idea that is rooted in Jews have more rights than Palestinians. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to ask about um, the new government just briefly, because I know that recently Netanyahu was unseated by Naftali Bennett. And some people are saying that he might be even more right wing than Netanyahu. Um, But he's heading what is presented as a more progressive coalition. Um, So do you see this as any kind of step forward? Or do you think the change in government is going to make any material difference for Palestinians? I will just say lul about. (laughs) 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 About the new government. Mm -hmm. What they are, what the, the new government doing? Just let me know if they are doing anything good 
for solution. Nothing. We are still under the blockade. We just have three hours of electricity. <laughs> what about the water? The water not good for animal, not just for a human. Also, animals should not drink from this water. So what what the, the new uh, government doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, about the medicine, they also not allow the medicine to come to Gaza. And if they let the medicine to come to Gaza, they bought much of fees. Also the trade, they destroy the trade in, in Gaza. What they are doing, <laughs> like two-faced for same, <laughs> just a minute, I, I lost my word when, when you say uh, a new government. Wow. Mm-hmm. Not a new government. It is a bad government and it was bad government. Mm-hmm. They are doing the same plan. Like when, like when we say Joe Biden, a new president, <laughs> and a Trump old president. They are the same. They are doing the same. They are support Israel and doing everything for Israel. How, uh, what, what, what is Joe Biden doing to uh, stop the war in the Gaza? Nothing. They uh, give more weapons to Israel to kill more Palestinians. So they are the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just say again, I, I just want to say rule about the, <laughs> the new government. Really. Yeah, yeah, it's two faces of the same horrifying <laughs> oppressor. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, in Canada, you know, the difference between different parties. I mean, I think that in Israel, I think, you know, both of those parties are probably still very, very right wing. Um, but even, you know, in Canada between, you know, the, the liberals and the conservatives, you know, what difference does that really make for indigenous people fighting for decolonization, right? It doesn't make much difference at all. Uh, they're still the occupying force. So, uh, yeah. They are, they are just, I find they, uh, it now, they are two-faced. Or same coins, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, if it's a or Netanyahu or uh, Trump or Joe Biden, mm-hmm. four mm-hmm. faces for same coins. I don't know how they are two faces, uh, four faces for same coins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on and for answering all these questions. Um, your work is just so incredible and so necessary. And I'm just thrilled to have you on here to talk about it. Um, and I hope that everyone listening can support Plant the Land Team Gaza. We will put links in the description box below where you can find them and donate and all of that amazing stuff. Um, so as we leave off, can you maybe tell listeners how to help support you in your work and more broadly how listeners can support total liberation for Palestinians? Laura, you will answer or or me? <laughs> um, we should both answer. You can start if you want. Maybe I will speak about the Blunt Land team. We have a little problem now for not have a donation from people. Why? Uh, because uh, Laura are not able now to make uh, funds for the Blunt Land team for some problems. So 
I just hope to find someone can uh, doing the found for the blank land team to raise money to help people here. Everyone know that without money, we cannot, uh, I mean, without donation, not money, uh, without donation from kind people, we will not be able to help people here. We will not be able to help people here. So I hope that I can find person or organization can uh, adopt the blind plan team or uh, someone can make found to raise the money for people in Gaza. We are trying, I mean, I am and Laura, we are trying to fix the problem and trying to make a found funds uh, for the blind land team. And I hope we can uh, fix this problem or can, or, uh, or hope we can find uh, some persons uh, can help us to make funds for people, uh, for a blind land team to help people here. Situation in Gaza, too bad, too bad. And many people now, no work, no money, uh, not always uh, to, to buy the water for their children. So the situation be too bad. Uh, and maybe Laura will, will explain about the situation in Gaza more than me. And I think she uh, feel about people in Gaza because she uh, always uh, watch the news and see the both, uh, both from me about the situation in Palestine and especially in Gaza. Uh, again, I hope to find someone can make funds for a blind land team to help people in Gaza. So, um, yeah, the problem that Anas is referring to is, again, the issue that I mentioned earlier of having trouble getting the money into Gaza um, because they've only been allowing me to send it in small amounts. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone listening wants uh, more information about that, you can contact me directly or Anas directly on Facebook or through our website, um, which there'll be a link to, I'm assuming, um, under the podcast. Yeah, that would be the best way to contact us. And actually, it's great to follow both of us on Facebook and also to follow Plant the Land team page on Facebook. Uh, because we do put out a lot of information. Um, you know, certainly Anas puts out tons of information about everything that Plant the Land team is doing, but also about things that are going on in Gaza and in Palestine more generally. I also post a lot of that, but of course, I am looking at it from more of a total liberations perspective. So I post on all other types of issues as well and specifically focus on how they interrelate uh, with each other. And I would definitely also say that uh, there are a lot of other noteworthy organizations that the listeners should definitely support. Please do uh, look into and get involved with Vegans for BDS. So that's specifically an organization of vegans who are 
trying to mobilize the vegan movement to participate with and act in solidarity with the Palestinian boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Obviously, get involved with the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement itself. Big, big news on that front this week. Um, there was a long-term, we're talking 20-year pressure campaign on Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And of course, you know, there's vegan Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So there's a big vegan piece of this as well to stop selling their ice cream to the Israeli settlements. So these are the um, apartheid settlements in the Israeli occupied Palestinian West Bank. And uh, as of this week, Ben and Jerry's announced that they were going to terminate their contract to sell their ice cream in the settlements. And actually, the Ben and Jerry's uh, board itself said that they wanted to pull out of Israel altogether, but that their parent company, Unilever, wasn't letting them do that at this time. But that's wow. a big win. Yeah. That's huge. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a big win for the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement for Palestine. And like you said, Mexi, it's also a sign of a big shift that's taking place right now in terms of the general attitudes on this issue. Uh, they did say that the social media pressure campaign really influenced them to do this. Um, so on that note, please share information about what is actually going on in Palestine, what the Israelis are doing to Palestine on your social media pages. It's so important because it breaks that narrative of the mainstream media. So people who are not exposed to this issue in any way but the mainstream media, if you've got some social media account and you've got people that are following your account and they see stuff about Palestine, that's a very powerful way to break that stranglehold of influence that the uh, mainstream media has. So um, that's important. Really uh, just educate yourself as much as possible about this issue. Um, Definitely, there's a lot of organizations out there uh, that really offer a lot of information, like Jewish Voice for Peace, like Adala. Um, you've got uh, Existence is Resistance is another one. You've got um, Christian Peacemaker Teams. You've got International Solidarity Movement. You've got news media sources like 972 Magazine, which is Israeli leftist. Um, you've got Mon News, which is Palestinian. You've got the Palestinian Chronicle. You've got Mondo Weiss, which is run by anti-Zionist um, Jewish activists in, I think, the U.S. Um, you've got, you know, a lot of different places that you can go to for news on this issue. And um, there's also all kinds of documentaries that you can watch. Um, Five Broken Cameras is a great documentary uh, that was made about the situation in the West Bank as told through the perspective of a very young Palestinian child. And that was actually made in collaboration between a Palestinian um, filmmaker in the West Bank and an Israeli leftist filmmaker. Um, 
So you've got that. You've and that was actually, believe it or not, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary, but the Palestinian filmmaker was not allowed into the U.S. for the ceremony. Wow. Yeah. So um, you know, you've got five broken cameras. You've got Tears for Gaza. Very heartbreaking documentary. Um, definitely brace yourself. Um, you've got. Um, Another one, uh, I, I can write up a list probably would be helpful, but, you know, just basically you want to educate yourself. You want to learn about um, and promote specifically the initiatives that are going on within Palestine. Uh, some of the ones that I mentioned previously uh, for animal liberation that also, of course, uh, connect to Palestinian liberation. And I can, you know, come up with a whole list of resources but basically, these are ways that you can really um, help. And the other thing, of course, is if you are dealing with people where there are, you know, people that are coming from a Zionist perspective, Zionist Jewish people, and you know an anti-Zionist Jewish person, and you can certainly tag me on social media if you need me to jump into those situations. But that's helpful because obviously I know that it's difficult that, you know, uh, if you're not Jewish yourself, you might be feeling uncomfortable jumping in. But also bring in Palestinian voices as much as possible to those discussions because they very, very often are silenced out of conversations about their own liberation struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for all of that. And it would be amazing if you could put together a list and we can put all these resources in the show notes for people. And yeah, just otherwise, again, thank you both so much for coming on the show. This is amazing. I really hope that you know, this can help bring attention to what you're doing and that people will be really inspired to donate money to your organization and just, yeah, keep the momentum going because this work is so incredibly important, like I said before. So thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, let's, let's keep this momentum going. Thank you so, so much for having us on here. Thank you, Maxi, for this uh, presentation.